This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. It was just another day at the office for Damien Brown when he reported for track work duties on the Sunshine Coast on the Thursday before the Magic Millions race day earlier this year. Shortly after arriving, Damien was conscious of a nagging stomach pain which gradually worsened and it wasn't long before he knew there was something terribly wrong. He didn't realise that a stomach ulcer had burst, perforating his bowel and causing several other complications. Emergency surgery followed and then came a painful post-operative period followed by an endless rehabilitation, a rehab which continues as we speak. Damien Brown is a Kiwi whose career had really taken off over the last decade and he now has a CV of 1,700 wins, 16 Group 1s and the respect of trainers all over Australia. His health has improved markedly of late and he's now in a position to talk to us on the podcast and it's great to welcome him. Damien, thanks for your time. My pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. Well, you, they tell me you looked a million dollars when you turned up at Doomben on Saturday to be given a rousing farewell by the Brisbane Racing Club and by your fellow jockeys who formed a guard of honour in the mounting enclosure. Pretty touching moment. It certainly was, John, and one that I wasn't expecting, but um, I had to sort of keep the emotions in check as, as much as I could, but uh, it was certainly a heartfelt um, send-off for me and, and something I'll treasure for the rest of my life. The Guard of Honour procedure is really only a recent innovation. They did the same thing for Darren Gauchy in Melbourne when he retired last year and for Jim Cassidy during the Melbourne Cup Carnival three years ago when he had his last ride. Yeah, it's like I say, it's something that I, I really didn't expect and, and as a young rider, all you want to do is to get the uh, respect of your peers and um, that was certainly showed um, yesterday and um, looking at those guys' faces, I could tell it was heartfelt and it was something that I'll ch- uh, cherish, as I say. At a special function upstairs later in the day, the TAB presented you with a, a magnificent memento of the day. It certainly was. I, I, they presented me with a photo of uh, myself with uh, the Kiwi colours on and uh, I've always been a proud Kiwi, so uh, to see the silver fern uh, there on my chest and uh, mm. something that will hang in my, on my wall for years to come that I'll, I'll look back on fondly. Let's trace the origin of that stomach ulcer that caused all of this trouble. We've got to go back to 2006, really, Damien, uh, which was an awful year for you. You had two race falls in a short time. The first was on the Gold Coast. What happened there? Yes, unfortunately, a horse just moved out in front of me. I clipped its heel and my horse stumbled and I went over its head and landed very awkwardly, uh, shattering my ankle. And uh, as I was lying on the track and, and seeing the bottom of my foot uh, looking back at me, I, I knew I was oh. in a bit of trouble. And, uh, mm. yeah, I was lucky to get a, a great surgeon that was able to piece me back together like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. You'd been back one week, one lousy week when a horse ran to the outside fence with you at a Sunshine Coast meeting and smashed the other leg. What was the damage this time? Uh, you rebroke the leg again, uh, the tibia and fibula, which required a rod to be put down that, uh, to, to stabilise it and 
Mm. Uh, it certainly wasn't something I wanted after a long rehabilitation to get back, but um, I knew what I had to go through to get back again. So uh, it was just a matter of putting one foot in, full, uh, in front of the other and, and getting on with it. Now, this is the point in your life when you started to use anti-inflammatories. They controlled the pain and they controlled the swelling and they became a part of your life, sadly. That's right, John. And, and as everybody that's taken uh, anti-inflammatories knows, you, you need to take them with food. But obviously, as a jockey, um, there's many days where you're really not eating a lot. So I was taking it a lot of times um, on an empty stomach, uh, mm. which over a long period uh, obviously created an ulcer, which I had no idea of uh, that it happened. Mm. But um, like you say, two days before the uh, Magic Millions, um, it became apparent I had an ulcer that had erupted. And Damien, to rub salt into the wounds, on Magic Millions Day, you would have been on Boom Sara, which won the three-year-old version. He did. Uh, the horse, he was in terrific form and, and Chris had him in great order. And I remember saying to him earlier in the week, if he draws wide, he'll, he'll win. Mm. Um, and when the barrier draws come out and he drew 18, I think, I remember ringing Chris and he said, well, you got your wish. He wasn't very happy, but mm. um, I said, he'll win now, mate. And uh, Julie, he was able to get the job done. So I was wrapped for Chris and the connections. Yeah. But obviously it was a little bit painstaking for myself. Now, why did you say he was a better chance from a wide gate? Well, he could be a touch slow out of the barrier um, and it would take him 50 or 60 metres to, to really muster speed. And mm. uh, I thought if he drew in and they crossed him and I, I'd end up three or four back on the fence, um, it'd make it a lot more difficult. I thought he was a better horse if he, if he was able to dictate, mm. um, which from a wide barrier, and it's a nice run from the 1400 at the Gold Coast, so I would have been able to take my time and, and come across and, mm. and uh, dictate from there. And thankfully, Timmy Clark, who, who got the opportunity to ride him, did exactly that, and the rest is history. Yep. Well, after the emergency surgery, which was a traumatic thing for you, your troubles were only just beginning. As if you didn't have enough problems, both kidneys decided to shut down. Yes, like you say, it was a traumatic thing. Um, I'd come out of surgery and, and obviously they'd, they'd fix the hole in, in my stomach and um, and then my kidneys, obviously my body went into shock and my kidneys started to shut down. So um, I was back in the jockey mode. I wasn't allowed to eat or drink for three days, <laughs> uh, not even a mouthful of water. So that was quite difficult. Um, um. And they just bombarded me with fluid. Um, I put on 10 kilos in that three days, and they were just trying mm. to jumpstart my kidneys. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, after three days, um, they got going, and um, from things from there, things started to look up. Without the anti-inflammatories, the old leg injuries immediately resurfaced with constant swelling. They did, John, and uh, the the doctor, the surgeon that operated on me, said you'll never be able to take these again. Um, because of the worry of the reoccurrence of an ulcer. Mm. And uh, as soon as I stopped taking them, obviously my legs started to blow up again, and and uh, to this day we're still trying to manage that. You know, it was the classic catch-22, wasn't it? The anti-inflammatories kept you in the saddle for all those years and destroyed your health. They did, John, and, um, you know, I was very fortunate that they gave me the years that they did. Uh, but like you say, it, it was a catch-22. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been able to ride. And mm. um, so, But like I say, I, I got uh, 
a few more good years out of it, so I've got to be thankful for that. You're 46 years of age, Damien. I think we should touch on this point. Uh, This has been a terrible ordeal for you and a grave disappointment that you've had to retire, but it would have been far worse had you been 36. Yeah, exactly right. Like I've had a very good innings. Um, I've been very fortunate to to get on some good horses and ride for some great trainers. So, um, you know, I certainly can't moan. And and like I say, I've been very, very lucky. Have you spoken to the medical experts about any alternative treatment that might help you to overcome the leg pain and the leg swelling? Uh, At this stage, we're still going through that process. I've got three or four great doctors that are working together that are trying different things and I'm a bit of an um, experiment at the moment, that, uh, like a pin cushion. I'm getting poked and prodded with different things, but uh, at this stage we haven't found the right answer, but I, I'm sure they'll get on top of it. They're, they're working tirelessly to do so. Yeah, so you're not beaten yet? No, I, I certainly I, I don't think I'd ever get back to the stage where I'll be able to ride, but uh, they're just trying to get me to the stage where I'll have a good quality of life. Yeah. Well, many people think you're a Queenslander but you are a true blue South Islander, born and reared in the beautiful city of Christchurch. Now, your stepfather is a harness trainer. His name is Graham Quartz, and he just happened to train one of the best horses in New Zealand trotting history, Terror to Love, winner of 31 races and about $2.5 million, and he won three New Zealand Cups on the trot. Yeah, he was a, a, a great pacer and, uh, you know, I had some great times when I, I was living there and uh, doing some driving and I, and I probably learnt all my grounding and horsemanship um, working with Graham, um, albeit uh, in, with the uh, standard breeds. Um, but I learnt a lot while I was there and, and it was a great time for me. You drove a lot of track work and I think at the time you decided to pursue a career in thoroughbred racing, you were pretty close to driving in some trials. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been far off, John. I was, uh, like you say, driving plenty of work and uh, I was enjoying it, uh, but it just so happened because of my stature. Uh, Graham had a good friend, Kevin Morton, mm. who, who came out and uh, said, oh, he's got the right build for a jockey. So mm. they put me on a, on a thoroughbred and um, the rest is history. Certainly is. You were apprenticed to the late Ned Thistol. I've seen his names many times, Damien, in reading New Zealand racing stories. He seems to have been very highly respected. He certainly was. Um, he's uh, an icon of South Island racing and he was a great jockey in the, in the early years and uh, he was a great trainer and mentor of apprentices. He had some great apprentices before myself and mm. um, you know, I was lucky to get some uh, good tutoring off, off Ned. You didn't spend all of your apprenticeship with him. Uh, you transferred to Jim Melton later on. Yes, Jim was an up-and-coming trainer at that time, and, and uh, Ned was starting. He was getting uh, into his twilight years and starting to uh, cull down his team and, and only probably had 10 or 12 there. Mm. So it was probably the right decision for then as an uh, up-and-coming apprentice to, to move to a bigger stable. And as I say, Jim was an up-and-coming trainer, um, so I was able to uh, shift my intentions to him and, Mm. Uh, we had a lot of success. You know, no kid can do more as an apprentice jockey than outright his claim. You did that. Yes, John, I was very fortunate that uh, both Ned and Jim gave me a lot of support and, and their owners um, pretty much put me on, on all stable runners, which was a great support for me. And 
mm. as I say, we're having a lot of success, so it enabled me to out, outride my claim and, and uh, win a couple of apprentice premierships. Mm. Well, that's another thing people don't realise. You were twice champion junior jockey on the South Island. Yes, and, and like I say, it was probably duly to, to the horses that Jim had at that time and, and the races that we were able to win, it was uh, certainly catapulted catapulted me up in riding ranks and, mm. um, you know, a great help to me. In 1995, you made a very bold move. You just turned up at track work at Caulfield, introduced yourself to a few trainers. You said, can I jump on one or two for you uh, each morning? And it started from there. be a pretty lonely experience though, wouldn't it? Knowing nobody. It was. Uh, fortunately, I had a good friend of mine, uh, Jamie Bates, who was a, a leading South Island jockey as well. We both moved over there together and um, thought we'll, we'll have a go and see what we could do. And, uh, mm. you know, we were, turned up at the track, as you say, and, and Rob McGuinness, who's a, a champion guy, was. Uh, we were very fortunate he gave us a go and mm. we rode a bit of work and, and in the finish he gave me some race rides and um, we had some success from there. Now, the next trainer you became associated with was Cliff Brown, who I think is still in Singapore, where he's had enormous success. He has. He, he's going great over there at the moment, one of the leading trainers. He's been over there for some time now, and um, I was fortunate to, to be able to get on some of his horses early on at Caulfield. Mm. Um, and we had, uh, I think it was Cliff's first Group 1 winner was, was also mine in the Derby. So yeah. uh, we formed a partnership then, and, and I was still, up until I uh, finished riding a few months ago, I was still going up to Singapore and, and riding for him, and it was a, mm. a long-standing association. The derby you're talking about was the South Australian derby. Now, Cheviot is the horse in question. He won only four races from 43 starts. You won a three-year-old on him at Mooney Valley. Brent Stanley won a three-year-old on him at Flemington, and you jumped back on in the South Australian derby. Your first group won. And a, a massive thrill, I'd imagine. Certainly was, John. I was, I was very fortunate to gain the ride back on him in, in that race, and I, I'm still to this day thankful for Cliff and, and the connections for giving me the opportunity to ride him. Um, you know, it was certainly a, a big day for me, and um, to win a, a classic as your first Group One, um, it was a, a day I'll never forget. You rode him in five more races after the Derby. He ran third in the Turnbull, third in a Moody Valley Cup and then 10th in Saintley's Melbourne Cup, not beaten all that far, six and a half lengths. Uh, was that your only cup, right? It was, John. Um, and it, to be honest, I, I was probably pretty, pretty young at that stage and maybe got a little bit overawed by the, the whole day because it was such a big day. And um, I probably rode them a bit too quietly. Uh, yeah. It wasn't one of my best Group 1 rides, I don't believe, but um, the horse run terrific. You rode about 50 winners uh, in that stay in Victoria, but you decided to go home for the Christmas carnival in New Zealand and you stayed f for quite a while, longer than you intended, really, four or five years, I think. Yes, it was only supposed to be four or five weeks, which uh, ended up, as you say, into four or five years. But as mm. people that know me, I'm quite a homely person. And once I got back there and uh, as I say, I was still pretty young for, for Melbourne racing. And once I got back to, to Christchurch, mm. um, you know, I fell in love with it again and, and ended up staying staying there for some time. Mm. You got a surprise phone call one day from a fellow Kiwi called Gary Carville, who was managing John Hazler's or John Hazler's Glen Logan Park stud in Queensland. And 
At that time, they were looking at adding a training arm to the operation and they needed a jockey. How did it all play out? Yes, well, as you say, Gary rang me. I came over and had a meeting with with him and uh, John Hazler and um, they outlined the the future plans they had and and they looked to be uh, quite an opportunity. Um, So I came over and with my wife and um, we worked out there for six months uh, at Glen Logan Park and they'd put down tracks and they had a number of horses in work. But Mm. at that time, it was very early stages and they were only having one or two runners every, you know, fortnight. So yeah. It really wasn't a place for a jockey to try and establish himself. Um, so at that stage, we decided to move on, and, and uh, instead of putting our tail between our legs, we decided to pack up and move to the Sunshine Coast and Caloundra and, and try from there. And you've been there ever since. Exactly, yes. Dame, I'll get you to stand by for a moment. We have a commitment to clear on the podcast back after this. The 2019 Inglis-Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. The Chairman's Sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mares sold for a million or more, two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht, Dam of Loving Gabby, and dual Group 1 winning mare, Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au. Right, it was the middle or the latter part of 2002 uh, when you were settled on the Sunshine Coast and trainers started to recognise your talents. And who were some of the trainers that uh, gave you a kick-off? Um, at that stage, it was uh, Liam Birchley and uh, Kelly Sweeter, Rob Heathcote, who was still in his very, very early stages at that time, but mm. uh, I was starting to get some lovely opportunities and, and some nice rides. Right, and Bruce McLaughlin was still at the Sunshine Coast in that era, wasn't he? Yes, and how could I forget Bruce? He was a larger-than-life character and an absolute legend. And Yes, that's right, he, he gave me some great opportunities. Mm. Um, and, and just even working alongside Bruce, I learned so much. It was, it was a terrific time. Mm. So you rode work every day at the Sunshine Coast. You, you didn't get into town to ride work at Eagle Farm, but the Brisbane trainers were simply ringing up with rides for you. Yeah, I was working very hard at that time just to try and establish myself and riding a lot of work up here. But I think the fact that Bruce was putting me on gave the other trainers in Brisbane the confidence to, to also use me. So, mm. um, you know, that's probably duly to, to Bruce's uh, helping hand and, and I've got to thank him for that. Now, early days there, Damien, you rode mostly at the Gold Coast for a while, didn't you? I did. I was still having a little bit of trouble with my weight and, and having trouble sort of riding under 56, so... Um, you know, with the minimum being 53 in those days, um, there wasn't really many m- mounts available uh, over 56 kilos. So mm. just to uh, 
make a living. I was doing most of my riding on the Gold Coast. Rob Heathcote was the trainer to supply you with your first Victorian Group 1 winner, horse called Wooram in the Oakley Plate. Wonderful old race and a great one to win. Well, he, he was a very good horse to me, Wooram, and uh, that race, uh, the Oakley Plate, uh, still probably goes down to one of the great Oakley Plates to, to watch visibly. Uh, mm. He was still last with 200 metres to go, and mm. his win was just outstanding. You won six races on him altogether, and he was a good horse, Wooram. We tend to forget he won 11 races, nine placings, and well over a million in prize money. You'd love to own him. Certainly would, John, uh, and lovely owners, uh, Ross and Judy Cutts. Um, so it was great to be associated with them. He was unfortunately a horse that had feet problems, so I don't know if we really got to see the best of him. Mm. Um, sometimes you'd pull him out and you wouldn't know whether he was going to go or stop. So uh, thankfully uh, that day at Caulfield he decided to go and, and boy did he go. Mm. How did your association with Peter and Paul Snowden begin? Um, I, th- I think they'd just been watching a little bit, and, and obviously sending horses up to Brisbane. They needed, they wanted to uh, find a jockey that they could use, and I was just very fortunate that, that I was the one they picked. And it was association that um, grew as time went on. I had a lot of luck for them, and um, right until I, I finished riding, they'd been great supporters of mine. Mm. You must have been tickled pink when they asked you to ride a filly called Earthquake in the 2014 Blue Diamond Prelude and the Blue Diamond itself if she qualified. Yeah, I thought they were joking when they said uh, come down and ride her, to be honest, John. And Did you? I, yeah, yeah, as you say, I went down and rode her in the prelude and she won. Uh, unfortunately, Kieran had been injured, I, I think, in the Caracas Millions in a fall in New Zealand, and mm. uh, so it was off the scene at that time. And uh, I still didn't think I'd be on her in the in the blue diamond. But after the um, prelude, uh, Peter said to me, "Would you would you come back and ride her in the blue diamond?" And of course, I, mm. I jumped at the opportunity. And mm. um, you know, I was just very fortunate they had the, the trust and faith in me to put me on her, a short price favourite in the, in the blue diamond. Mm. She didn't last long, sadly. She only had twelve starts. She won five of them, and thanks to the blue diamond win. She collected $1.7 million, so she was a useful filly. Yeah, she, she was pretty good, right, John, uh, especially as a two-year-old. And, uh, I was probably unfortunate the heavens opened on Golden Slipper Day and uh, she ran second there. She tried hard, but uh, she didn't look to really be handling the track. But um, other than that, she was a champion two-year-old. One year later, you rode Pride of Dubai for the Snowden Stable, a cult in the Prelude and the Diamond. You ran second in the Prelude, and then you made a two blue diamonds on the trot. Yes, yeah, things that uh, only dreams have, have made of, really, to be honest. Um, it's run in the, the prelude was outstanding. Um, but there was a short price favourite in the blue diamond that was unbeaten. Um, I think it was called Fontaton mm. or something similar to that. Um, so we knew we had our, our work cut out, but he was a big, big, strong colt. And we knew he'd take a lot of improvement out of, out of the prelude. So... We knew we were in with a, a good live chance. Peter Snowden, since those days, has on many occasions uh, got you to make quick trips to Sydney and to Melbourne, and many winners have come out of those little trips. Yeah, I was sort of a, a gun for hire, if you like, just uh, <laughs> if, if some of the riders were away or, or the, the, you know, the Hugh Bowmans and James McDonalds and Kieran, uh, if they were busy away at another meeting or for whatever other reason, um, they'd call upon me and... Um, Thankfully, we, we had a great uh, run there and, and a lot of winners. Mm. Let's pay tribute to the horse 
who took you to the top of the mountain, the remarkable buffering. 55 starts, 20 wins, 17 placings, 7.3 million in prize money. You won nine on him, Damien, including seven at Group 1 level. What were his strongest points as a racehorse, buffering? Uh, probably his big heart. Uh, I don't think I've ever ridden a horse with as big a heart as him and, and his just fighting tenacity. He just didn't like horses getting past him. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, Once he got to the front and was able to dictate, he would just grind them down and grind them down. And, mm. um, you know, he, he was able to win a lot of his races just by doing that, um, more or less breaking the hearts of the other horses. Mm. Just looking at your Group 1 record on buffering, you won a Manicato, you won a Victoria Sprint, two Winter Bottoms in Perth, two Moyer Stakes in Melbourne, and then a dream trip. You went to Dubai to ride him in the Alcoz Sprint. Yeah, so it was things, as we look back now, John, I still pinch myself that it, that it really happened. Um, you know, to be able to go uh, to Dubai just to compete um, on Dubai World Cup night was, was an honour in itself, but to win was uh, just amazing. And I was able to take my wife over there and, it was certainly a uh, trip that we will always remember. Mm. And what about the race itself? Were you confident all the way? Yeah, he, he travelled really well um, over over to Dubai, which was obviously the main concern travelling that far. And mm. he looked at a picture when when I arrived, and uh, I know going to the start, he just gave me that feel that he was on song. And um, from then on, I was I was pretty confident he'd run really well. Obviously, mm. it's hard to to match up when you you've got American horses and uh english horses and from all around the world their best mm. sprinters um just how good they are you don't know so mm. but i knew he'd run well and acquit himself well and um he, he certainly did that he jumped and, and put himself there and traveled sweetly throughout and mm. as soon as I, I put the pressure asked asked him to go and put the pressure on them he gave me a good kick and, and from mm. then it was always going to be very difficult mm. uh as i say for them to get past him you won a btc cup on albert the fat and Quintessential was a good filly for you. Uh, you got yourself on her for the John Sargent stable. She easily won the Queensland Oaks and then ran second in the derby. Yeah, she, she, was, she was only small, John, tiny little filly. And um, I rode her in the roses to lead up to the Oaks and she drew wide and I, I had to go back, but she ran on really well. And I remember saying to John Sargent, if, if she draws well in the Oaks, she'll, she'll nearly win. And mm. um, Julie, she drew one. And I was wrapped then, and, and then the uh, heavens opened up, and it just poured with rain. And I, I thought, mm. oh, I don't know if she's going to handle this. And mm. as it turned out, she just swum through it and, and won very easily, and, and then backed up the week later and, and just got beaten in the derby. So she was a really nice filly. Mm. Well, you won a couple of other good ones on it too. She won a Group Two Eagle Farm Cup and a Group Three Chairman's Handicap. Yes, yeah, she was a, a, a good filly for me at that time, and. Um, as I say, there wasn't much of her, but uh, she she was a, a, a all heart and uh, really gave you everything she had. We've got to pay tribute to your remarkable wife, Kim, and the mother of your two great kids. Now, it's probably not well documented that Kim was a jockey in New Zealand where she rode under the name of Kim Lang and she won 99 races in her home country. Now, when you two came to Queensland, there was no way she was going to retire until she got the century. No, exactly right, John. Uh, the 99 in New Zealand and one, one elusive win away from the 100 and, and she 
well, I think she won an apprentice premiership in, in New Zealand and um, she was a great rider there and, and uh, come over here and she was riding work for Bruce McLaughlin because mm. um, she's a very, very good horsewoman. And she got a couple of opportunities to have a couple of rides and, and she always said to me, I want to ride one winner to get that 100. And uh, fortunately, she was able to do that um, and then retired shortly after. Mm. Well, she got the century on a mare called Volcanic Angel. It was a Class 1 race at the sunny coast in June of 2004 and uh, she won by a head. The runner-up was called a royal tail, a head between them, and who do you think rode a royal tail? Yeah, I think it's about the only time in my career that I I was happy to be beaten, John, uh, to be (laughs) honest. (laughs) Goodness me. I was certainly pleased pleased for her anyway. Mm. Were you going to win at any stage or did she hold you safely? Oh, I think she outrode me, John. <laughs> She's listening, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's she'd mother, be... It's Mother's Day, so I've got to do the right thing for oh, her. Oh, it is too. Well, yeah. Kim would be far too busy uh, these days to be dabbling with horses because of those two kids. And uh, just lately, she's been acting as nurse too for husband Damien. Tell me about the kids. What are the ages? Uh, Jacob is 12 and, and Libby's 10. Uh, they're a bundle of joy and, and plenty of cheek, obviously, at that age. And um, it certainly keeps me feeling young and um, we just have a, a great time together. It's, it's uh, certainly one of the, the highlights of my life. Yeah, and there's no racing obsession with those kids? Uh, not really, John. They, um, they both love horses. Uh, they both love animals To be in general, to be honest, but uh, I, I don't think they're quite into the racing side of things, which I'm not uh, completely upset about. Mm. But uh, I think Jake's probably got too many brains to be a jockey. And uh, <laughs> he, and uh, Libby, she's got other things on in mind at the, the stage. So, mm. yeah, no, I'm, I'm very proud of both of them. If fate decrees that you won't return to the saddle, how do you see the future? Does training have the slightest appeal? Um, probably not, John. I see a few grumpy trainers there in the morning. I don't really want to end up as a grumpy <laughs> old lake, so uh, I don't think I'll go down the training uh, route, but uh, I'll certainly stay within the industry in some way, and, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's given me so much over a long period of time, and I'd like to be able to give back um, something if, if I'm able to, so I'll be certainly staying within the industry in, in some yeah. capacity. What about the possibility of working in a foreman's role for one of the larger stables? Would that appeal? Oh, look, I'd like to certainly be able to get to the track and, and do a little bit. Uh, I don't know if, if too many of the trainers would want to employ me, but uh, they may be able to use me in, in, in some way there, and, and I'd certainly be grateful for that. Mm. Your emergence in the last decade at the elite level of race riding has been quite spectacular. Uh, you just sort of came out of nowhere, got right up into the elite level of racing and held your own with the best jockeys in Australia every time you went around. You've got absolutely nothing to prove, Damien Brown. Congratulations on all you've achieved and may good health accompany you in whatever you do in the future. Thanks very much, John. I really appreciate it and thanks for having me on. It's been great. Thanks, Damien Brown. And this podcast was produced by Supernova South. The 2019 English Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. 
The chairman's sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mares sold for a million or more, two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht Dam of Loving Gabby and dual Group 1 winning mare Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au.